Well, how many of you like gifts? If you do, you like gifts? I like gifts. It's, I like receiving gifts. One of the um, most precious gifts that um, I've ever received in my life, besides my salvation in the Lord, that the Lord uh, gave me as a gift, um, was when a gift was handed to my sister and myself. Uh, it was on June the 17th of 2012, and it was a folded flag honoring my dad for his 23 years of service in the military at his funeral service. And if you come to our house, that flag is on our credenza. Um, and, and unless Jesus comes and gets us all who believe um, first, one day Terry will receive that same gift uh, in that same like manner following taps. Different question. How many of you like to give gifts? I will tell you that I actually, and, and I know the old adage, it's better to give than receive, but I really do. I like to give gifts when I can, when I'm able. It actually makes me feel good inside. It actually makes me feel better than when I receive a gift. And I bet that most of you, many of you, a few of you, somewhere in there you fall, feel the same way. So today's passage is, again, on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in the seventh chapter, and we hear Jesus as he's teaching, and he talks about the Father that is in heaven and how the Father will give the good gifts. And he talks about seeking and knocking and, uh, and uh, asking, and, and so all of this is a part of what he is teaching and he reminds us of the good father that we have in heaven. And that once again, as we live into what he has been teaching and preaching from the Beatitudes through and what will be through the completion of chapter 7, that this is the way we are to live as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, uh, this is verse 7 of chapter 7, and I'll be reading through verse 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or... What man is there among you who will, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he, not give, will he give him a snake? Will he? He will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven Give what is good to those who ask him. In everything, therefore, treat people in the same way you want them 
to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate your, our hearts and minds by the power of your spirit. That we would hear exactly what you have for us today. We pray this in your name. Amen. The truly righteous want to be involved in what God is doing. I hope that you agree with that statement. The truly righteous want to be involved in what God is doing. You can make it as personal as you want. We know that as believers that God provides for us the strength of his spirit to do his work. He is the doing. He is in the doing of the work. And we grab hold. Sometimes we really have to grab hold of him because he is leading and he is pushing and he is calling us to be a part of the work that he calls us to using our gifts, our talents, in whatever ways that we can for the benefit of the kingdom. And we should rely on the strength of our Father to accomplish the task that he gives us. Unfortunately, the self-righteous, they will redefine the task and make it smaller and smaller and smaller until they can carry it on their own instead of having to rely on Christ. They call it a form of godliness, but in essence, it has no power without the Spirit. The Sermon on the Mount, its entirety strips away the pretense of living a self-righteous life. It brings the standard back to the level of humanity that is impossible to achieve without the Holy Spirit. To live as a child of God, you must be a child of God. Think about that. To live as a child of God, you must be a child of God. It is humanly impossible for anyone to live in their own power and then say, I am doing or living into what God has called me to that his son has been teaching to us in this sermon. It is impossible for the characteristics of the Beatitudes. It is impossible for us to live according to the teachings that are spelled out in all of verse 5 that's described as the practices in verse 6 that we are compelled and commanded to live into as we have started chapter 7. As we see this Sermon on the Mount, we must understand without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the wisdom that comes, the strength and the power of living into a truly righteous life, we will fail. You and I must live Live this righteousness according to God's wisdom. We live in his strength, in the simple obedience to him. Or you will only live, as Paul describes it, 
a form of godliness that, that denies God's power. So how can we possibly keep from falling into the pattern that Jesus is teaching against? How can we keep from falling into the pattern of the scribes and the Pharisees, their self-righteous living, how they would condemn others for not living into the standards that they have set for themselves and they impose on others? How can we tell a difference? God knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. God knows how for us to be able to overcome those strengths and weak, or those weaknesses that we have. And in this passage, Jesus talks to us about what he will do, his Father in heaven will do, and how we're to live out this righteous life with one another. And so he starts this section in verse 7 with, Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. And so like other passages, this particular verse is often taken out of context. I mentioned that uh, these past few weeks of how uh, some will take a verse and they will make it their own to fit their agenda or what they're trying to get across as far as their own standards and these verses are no different. Verse 7 and 8 say, often uh, people will say that they say, Oh, whatever your heart's desire is, God is going to fulfill that for you. And we know that to be um, often called the prosperity gospel that some preach. And so before we go any further about what it means, we need to know what Jesus is not saying here. Now, those that would say, it's just your heart's desire, and you just ask, and it'll be given to you. See, that's what the verse says. And often they will go to Psalm 37, verse 4, to be their backup. Delight yourself in the Lord, the psalmist says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so they will say, see, any desire, all you've got to do is ask God. And by the way, maybe you use John 14, 14, and, and just add that on to the end, because in John 14, 14, Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so all you need to do is just ask Jesus and say, in the name of Jesus, come on, give me all I want. And Jesus will do it. Seek. Or ask, seek, and knock, and it'll be open to you. This sort of theology uh, decades ago was on the fringes of Christianity. But sadly, today it has infiltrated much of the church and is absolutely become a part of mainstream Christianity in a lot of churches and with a lot of individuals. And again, the reason is because too many people approach the Bible without regard for context, and they say, look, just ask. That's what it says. But I can't overemphasize 
taking a passage of Scripture and making sure that you have it in the proper context. So, let's do the exercise. Look at verse 30 or Psalm 37, and if you were to look at verse 4 that I read, that's exactly what it says. But if you put it in context that the psalmist has it, listen, and you will see that it's a little different in the context that the psalmist means it by. He says, do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like green herbs. And here he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And then that verse, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of the heart. And if you stop there, you miss what the psalmist says. The psalmist continues, but commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do it. Commit your way to the Lord. And then the next verse, and he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. What the psalmist is talking about is how we live for Jesus. The righteousness that we are to have, the trust and commitment that we are to have. And when we are righteous, when we trust in the Lord, as we ask, God sees our needs and God is faithful. The psalmist goes on to describe that the insecurity is there for the wicked, but security is absolutely present for the righteous. The Lord desires the delight of your heart because you have been changed into the righteousness of God. This is who God is. And if you were to look at verse 14 of John 14, this we would find that if you put it in the context, it is not just add Jesus to the name of any prayer and abracadabra, you get what you want. It's not an incantation. In accordance to what the context of that verse in chapter 14 is, is that everything that we ask is to bring glory to God. If you look at the whole passage, Jesus is dealing with his oneness with the Father not giving unlimited wishes as we might have them. This entire passage, as we see it, in fact, as we, we look at chapter 7, we will see that Jesus is talking about looking at ourself. As we looked last week with judgment in, in verses 1 through 5, the very first thing that he calls us to do is to look, evaluate, judge ourselves. How are we living? Do we need to take the log out of our eye before we can help someone else? And then, you know, certainly verse 6 reminds us that there are those that are going to have specs that we have to judge that we're going to help out after we have judged ourselves. If you go past verse 12, in our passage today, 
13 and 14 talks about judging. Judging according to the path that is taken. Judge according to the door that, is, that people enter. And then in 15 through 23, it deals with the judgment of the false prophets. And so Jesus is talking here in asking, seeking, and knocking about us judging ourselves for the purpose of righteousness, living into the righteousness of our heart. Now, you can carry out these commandments of ask, seek, and knock only if you possess the character that God has, and especially as he has talked about as Jesus has preached in the Beatitudes. We are to become humble and poor in spirit. We are to mourn because of our sin and be merciful. We are to keep from condemning other of righteousness. We are to be meek and rely on the Lord. We are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. We are to increase our desire for the Lord. We are to conform ourselves to Christ. We are to remove any imperities or anything that would keep us from the righteousness that God has called us to. We are to be pure in heart, to see clearly the wickedness around us, to watch for the false prophet. We are to be salt and light, and we're not to be afraid to speak to others that may persecute us. The very value of human nature to be evil, we are to be holy. God is calling us to a life of holiness, true righteousness from our very heart. And so when we ask and seek and we knock, James tells us in James 1.5, but if, you, if any of you lack any wisdom, let him ask God who gives all men, women, generously and without reproach, and it will be given to them. And so as we seek, as we knock, as we ask, God is present to give us the good things because he is the good, good father. And he knows what we need best because he is perfect in his righteousness. There have been commentators that have taken these words and they've, there's those that say, wait a minute, it's, it's really to be flipped. You are to knock and then if you can get through the door, then you seek and if you can find Jesus, then you ask him. There's other commentators that say, no, that's not right. You have to ask Jesus first and if you ask him and you seek him, he will open the door and then you can find him. Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, and I would agree with him. Jones says the elements are stressed here as the same point of persistence in prayer. God wants us to continue to persevere in prayer. We are to seek and knock, and that is a picture of asking. They all work together, Jones says. They all work together to stress the point of actively petitioning God 
And it is not something that just happens automatically. It's not something that is done once. And so when we think about for ourselves, asking, seeking, and knocking, it is a continual. The, the English language does a poor job when we read this. There are those that say, oh, you only have to do this once, and then everything's going to be given to you. Everything will be open to you. And that's not what the Greek is. That's not how it is written. It is not just a, a once and forever. It is to keep asking, to keep seeking, and you will find keep knocking, and it shall be open to you. There is a continual process that God is calling us to as Jesus talks about seeking, knocking, asking that all go together so that we are built into the character the qualities that God has called us to in true righteousness. An object could be given, uh, something could be taken and given to us, but in essence, that would fail and wither and go away any of the material things that God might give us. But when it comes to true righteousness, living with the character of Christ, growing up into the image of who God is in our life, then we began to be molded and molded after him, and righteousness becomes a part of our everyday life. So God, Jesus, as he's preaching, teaching here, wants us to continue to ask and seek and knock. And Jesus here, here says, and, and when you make that your quest, when you continue in that, look at verse 8. He says, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and he who knocks, it shall be open to them. The Father wants us to fulfill our part because he will fulfill his part he is faithful and he is a good good father in this text jesus gives us two examples of of what a good father would be and the first one is verse 9 where he says or what would there be among you who would there be among you when his son would ask for a loaf would give him a stone and so he's got uh, the, the stone or the loaf and the stone and, and, and the rhetorical answer in our mind is no, no one in their right mind, no father, no good father, good mother in their right mind would give a child that's asking for bread a stone no matter how much it looked alike. And we understand that and they would have understood that that day on the side of the mountain as Jesus is teaching. We, we wouldn't play that joke. I don't think, on our children. And then Jesus, in verse 10, uses the, the, the fish and the snake, and he says, or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? And, of course, the only things that are in common in that is that both fish and snake have scales, but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Uh, I, by the way, I hate snakes. Um, 
I used to do children's time at my prior two churches, and I would have a bag, and they could put anything in it. And I swore if, if anyone brought a snake, I was going to, the service would be over if I reached in. I don't care if they're poisonous or not. I don't like snakes. I did have a live rabbit. I, I did have someone bring a live rabbit in a bag to worship. I had fish in a fish tank brought in a bag to worship. Interesting things. Um, I had to make something of it during children's time, so they, they tried to trick me as much as I could. They could. Here Jesus is saying, no, there's nobody. There, you, you wouldn't give your child a snake if they were asking for a fish. And in both illustrations, Jesus is saying, look, the Father is good, even though, what does he say? You being evil. And he's talking about our fallen nature here. He's talking about, look, even though you are evil, the, you still do good. You still wouldn't give a stone or a snake to your children. And so Jesus is talking about the very nature of man. Society tells us, in many cases, it is just mind-blowing to me, but I'd look at it from a biblical perspective or a biblical view, but society says that man is basically good. And it is the environment that man is in that corrupts man. That if, if mankind was in the right environment, that all natural, natural goodness would come out of mankind. And this is a philosophical basis that many have used over time to, to push our nation where we're at. Many crimes today are reclassified as psychological diseases instead of the pure evil that they are. Many theorize that man would be basically good if he was outside of the influence of that that is bad. They have used this type of premise to debate our sexuality and lack thereof. Sanctity of life, marriage, and the list could go on and on. Whatever man has or whatever man does to try to remove evil by redefining it, Jesus is the only judge, and it is only he, he that declares what right is right and wrong, what is good and evil. I want to give you some passages of scripture, but be assured as these seem to be in the negative, I'll bring about the positive. So David declares in Psalm 14:3, there is no one who does good. Isaiah in 53:6 says, we are all like sheep who have gone astray. We have all turned, everyone has turned to his own way. Isaiah 64:6 all our righteousness is, is as filthy rags before God. God says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the human heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Paul says in Romans 3, 23 and Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, all have sinned and then says you were dead in your transpassion trans 
trespasses of sin, you were by nature children of wrath. And here in this passage, Jesus in verse 11 says, you being evil. And so he's talking about the fallen nature of man. He's talking about that man in himself, apart from God, is not good. But he says here that even though man is not good, he would not harm his child, would he? And he says, if that's the case, we need to look at God because God is a good, good father. And God is one that provides for us. God is the one that cares for us. Jesus says, now if evil men know what to give as good gifts to their children because they ask, how much more will our heavenly father give good to those who ask? The goodness of God is emphasized here because God is good. Remember James 1.17, every good thing bestowed on every and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, with whom there is no variation, no shifting of shadows. Every good thing that we receive comes from the Father. And we acknowledge it as truth. Because we ask, we seek, and we knock. And the Father gives goodness that is right in what we need. Now, God is not necessarily going to give us just what we want. We're not going to have that want list and him just fulfill it. But he is going to give us what is good, and we should praise him for that. Uh, many of you probably at some point in your time, especially since the North Carolina has gone to the lottery is, and I don't know if you played a lottery, I don't. I, I have honestly never bought uh, a lottery ticket. Uh, but it's okay. if that's what you want to do, it's fine. But I know that many of you have dreamt about winning the lottery, or maybe you've got a rich uncle or friend or something that might leave you some money, and you dream about what that would do and how that would uh, uh, you know, change your life and all of that. And and we look at some of the stories that have come out of those who have been either won or given money, and often it becomes tragic. Often because of their wants and desires, and they think that that will monetarily will just supply everything. And we see relationships that are shattered, families that are broken apart, that are literally broken apart because of the wealth that's been inherited. We see where selfishness comes into play, and ultimately we hear stories of where there are those that win the lottery, and within weeks and months, they're destitute because they've spent everything that they won. God wants us to be holy. He wants us to have the confidence to come to him and ask him, knowing that he knows what we need. He wants us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. He wants us to be changed to the point that we know and understand that when we ask, we seek, and we knock, that God will provide according to his will and according to his purpose. God is faithful. 
He is just, and he will fulfill all of his promises. Every good gift comes from the Father. And so as Jesus lists and, and talks about ask, seek, and knock, and, and this will be given to you as we seek righteousness in God's name, as God fills us, leads us, calls us, walks with us in all of these ways. Jesus finishes this section, and it's absolutely connected to, yes, you could just preach on verse 12, but verse 12 is connected to the prior verses, 7 through 11. There's a therefore there, and it's there for a reason. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them for this, for this it is the law and the prophets. Again, it's, it's not some isolated statement. It is that Jesus is talking about this practicality of living into what we are called to in righteousness. And as we become righteous with God, as we become more and more like Christ, then we're going to live into the second part of the great commandment and is to love our neighbor as ourselves. There are those that have said, oh, so many other religions have this golden rule as this particular verse is often quoted. Um, so many other religions, you know, their founders or those who have led those religions, um, they have the same thing. Well, the interesting thing about that is when you read them, you see that it's from a negative standpoint and that it is passive, not active. Rabbi, Rabbi Hail, he says, what is hateful to yourself, do not do to someone else. The book of Tibet. What thou hatest, do to no man. Confucius, often quoted. What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. The Greek philosopher, Epicurus. What you avoid suffering yourself, please do not afflict with others. The Stoics advertised or advocated for this uh, principle, and, and they said, what you do not want to be done to you, do not do to anyone else in the world. All of these statements are passive, and they come from a negative standpoint, where Jesus' statement is actually active and comes from a positive standpoint. Treat others the way that you want to be treated yourself. It's a position of love. Jesus is approaching it from that position, not the negative position. And in other words, that as we live into the righteousness that God has called us to, that we are going to live into that, pursuing righteousness, not just avoiding what is evil. Jesus has set the example, and we're to live into that example. The good, good Father desires for us to live righteously. So when we ask and seek and knock in persistent prayer, seeking to live into the righteousness that God has called us to, the good, good Father gives us the good gifts 
that will help us live into his purpose and his righteousness. And because of the righteousness that God has given us, we cannot hate our neighbor. The scriptures teach us that we cannot say that we love God and hate our neighbor. Jesus teaches us in this sermon, throughout his word, that we are to love one another. It doesn't mean that you condone sin or the lifestyle or whatever that person may be living into contrary to God's word, but it does mean that we are to love, we are to care. And so the question this morning would be, how are we doing? Are we asking, seeking, knocking for God's purpose, his righteousness in our life? How are we doing with this? Are we seeking God's standards, actively pursuing? What are we doing? Our God desires for us to live righteously, and we need to examine ourselves. This passage, as Jesus is going through it, as we looked last week, we are to examine ourselves and see how we are living and are we living into that righteousness that he calls us to? And Jesus says, if you will ask and you will seek and you will knock, it'll be open to you. And the Father, the good, good Father, will give you good gifts according to his will and purpose. That's my hope for me and you and all of God's church, that we will ask and seek and knock so that righteous living is a part of all that we are and all that we do may it be so let's pray father thank you again for your word we thank you father that just this reminder this morning that you have so desire for us to have our heart right with you it is easy to allow the world to creep in. It is easy to have uh, self-righteousness or self-desires to sneak in. And so, Father, please guard our hearts. We pray, Father, that you would lead us into true righteousness for your name's sake. Make us more and more like you. And, Father, let us remember that twist that Jesus adds this morning. It's not only that we have a good father in heaven and that we have these good gifts of righteousness as we ask, but Jesus adds the twist of treat people the way you want to be treated. Love people the way, the way that you want to be loved. So, Father, we pray this morning that we would do just that. That your blessings that you pour out on us as your children, we would acknowledge. That we would live into. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.